Jesus said, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is important to remember that this portion of Jesus' teaching was directed toward his closest friends, not the general population. The Beatitudes are the opening words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and is a collection of truths designed to prepare his followers for his kingdom, which involved a lifestyle radically different from the world's. The Beatitudes are meaningless without faith in Christ. The term mourn means to experience deep grief. In keeping with his theme of spiritual blessedness, Jesus seems to indicate that this mourning is due to grief over sin. The people who agree with God about the evil of their own hearts can attain an enviable state of blessedness due to the comfort they receive from communion with the Holy Spirit. Christians do not seek happiness as the world does. Well, growing up, I used to hear my grandmother often say, this world is not my home. Or she'd say, I can hardly wait to go home. She'd say, I'm tired of this old world. In hindsight, I recognize that this may very well have been the greatest legacy that she could ever have left to me. Because she reminded me of a very important biblical truth, and, and it's this. This world, for a Christian, this world is, is not your home. It's not my home. I understood that I belonged to a different world. And it absolutely changed my worldview. It changed the way that I interacted with this world. It changed the way that I saw this world. And if you have ever read the New Testament, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, then you understand that Jesus Christ is introducing us to a brand new way of living. It's, it's, a, it's a revolution for every one of us. I call it the Jesus Revolution. Because what Jesus is saying is we are revolting against the ways of this world. And we're doing things now God's way. We're, doing, we're operating, we're functioning as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So all throughout the summer, we are going to be talking about what it means to be a citizen of heaven. How do citizens of heaven function? What do we do? How do we operate? I can tell you this that that we are to be radically different from the people in this world. There is supposed to be a definite, clear distinction. And I wondered this morning if you could say that about your life. If people look at you and how you live, how you function, what you do, would they be able to understand or recognize that you are a citizen of heaven? Or would they say, you're just like one of us? We need to understand what the constitution of the kingdom of God is. And Jesus very kindly tells us what that is at the very beginning of his ministry. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. I said this last week, the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom. And the Beatitudes, which is the first, uh, first 12 verses, is, is what we would call the preamble or the explanation the attitude of a citizen of heaven. 
So that's what we're talking about throughout the course of the summer. And today we're looking at uh, another beatitude, the second one, and it's very simple. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Before we, we look at that, let me just remind you of what we learned last week. Last week we learned, blessed are those uh, who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We understand that happiness comes to the one who understands his or her spiritual poverty. We need to understand our need of God. We need to understand our need of a Savior. Once we understand that, then we understand that God will bless us with his provision. And God's provision for our spiritual poverty is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So if you're a Christian today, at some point along the way, you understood that you are spiritually impoverished. You understood that you needed the Savior. It's critical that the church preach and teach this because this is actually the gospel of God. This is what Paul says in Romans in the first few verses of the first chapter. The gospel of God is all about Jesus Christ. And so, the poor in spirit understand that, that, that their, their spirituality is like filthy rags. That's right. We, what we consider good about ourselves, God declares to be as filthy rags. And, well, I don't have time to get into that today, but understand this. Again, that once you understand that, that your motives are evil, so often, sometimes they're good, but so often they're not good. That your inclination, every inclination of the heart, your heart is deceptive above all things. Uh, Jeremiah says, who can know this heart? This is our spiritual state. We understand that we are spiritually impoverished and that we need a savior. Well, God says, if, if that's you, if you understand your spiritual poverty and you cry out to God for help, then you will inherit the kingdom of God. You will inherit eternal life. So now let's go on to this second beatitude. And it goes like this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In the NLT, it's almost exactly the same. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this is kind of a, 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 it's kind of a, a contradiction here. Because really what it's saying here is, happy are those who are not happy. <laughs> it, it doesn't really... Uh, doesn't maybe really resonate with us, but we need to understand what it is that God is saying here. Now, I want you to see these, these first two, two beatitudes are very similar. Uh, in fact, uh, these beatitudes are, are the flip side of the same coin. The, the one side says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is speaking of the fact of our condition. When we, we look at the second beatitude, this is speaking about the feeling or the emotion of our condition. So we recognize the fact is, is that we are, are morally, spiritually bankrupt. We need a savior. We need somebody uh, to transform us. We need to be born again. But here, we recognize that we are a people who are in desperate need, and the natural response to that desperate need is to mourn, to weep to be sorrowful for our sin. Now, the term mourn means to experience deep grief. 
And Jesus indicates to us that this, this mourning is due to deep grief concerning our sin. So we're talking now about not, not just the fact of our sin, but then the feeling that goes along with the sin in our hearts and the sin around us. Jesus tells us when we mourn over this, this is when we will discover God's happiness. A happiness that doesn't come from within me, a happiness that doesn't come from the world, but a happiness that comes from heaven. Well, we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But understand this. This comfort that Jesus is talking about is a comfort that comes from God Almighty. It's not from anything or anybody on this earth. Now, I, I got to just make something clear. The, the morning that we're talking about here is not the morning that you might experience uh, from the loss of a loved one or, or any kind of loss. No, this is talking about a sorrow that is the result of your sin or the result of the sin around you and often is, is accompanied by repentance. This is what Jesus is talking about. This Christian life is not all about joy and laughter. TV preachers might tell you that. There's all kinds of bloggers out there that will suggest that to you. But understand, the Christian life is not all about joy and laughter. In fact, Jesus warns us in the book of Luke, woe to you who laugh now. It's interesting. No, understand that, that there is such a thing as Christian sorrow, Christian tears, Christian grief. And it concerns our own sin, grief because of our sin, grief because of the sin of our family members, uh, grief because of what we're seeing in the world today. We weep and we cry out to God because of the sin in our nation, the blasphemy that we see on a regular basis on television, on social media. We weep because of, of, the, uh, of the hatred that we see on the streets, the hatred we see oftentimes in our own family. The psalmist shed streams of tears, it says, over the, the sin of his countrymen. He wept over Israel. And then, of course, we see Isaiah. He gets a vision of the Lord. And what's his first response? After being in the presence of almighty, holy, holy God, he says, woe to me. I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. Yes, in the presence of Almighty God, there is a time for Christian tears, a time for sorrow. Even Jesus wept. When Jesus looked upon Jerusalem that refused and rejected his message, what do we find Jesus doing? He looked upon Jerusalem and he wept. Tears of great sorrow because of a people that would not repent. Paul mourned over his own sin. We read that in Romans chapter 7. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this sinful state? Paul mourned and wept at the sin of the church. In Philippians 3.18, he says, these people call themselves Christians are in fact enemies of the cross. Well, there's much to mourn about, much to weep about. There's so much that we need to go before the Lord and cry out to him on behalf of, of ourselves and on behalf of our brothers and sisters, behalf of our family members, behalf of our nation. 
Paul actually told the believers in Corinth that you should be mourning, you should be weeping, you should get on your face before God and confess your sin. Whoever told you that the Christian life is just all joy and laughter does not know the scriptures. Now I'm gonna say something that might shock you because you hear me talk about grace a lot. But I, I believe that sometimes we take grace and we make something of it that it's not. We, we make too much of God's grace and we fall into deep sin and we fail to weep because of our sin. We say, oh, well, God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace will wash it all away. I gotta remind you of something. Any truth in the scripture that's taken to an extreme becomes heresy. And for many of us, our understanding of grace is in fact very heretical. Listen, if there's sin in your life, you don't just sweep it aside and pretend, oh well, it's not a big deal. God's grace is so broad, so big. No, if there's sin in our lives, if there's sin in our, in our, in our families, in our marriage, in our country, it's time for us to weep and to cry out to God knowing that because of God's love, we shall be comforted. We will hear an answer from heaven, an answer from God that will bring joy to our hearts. Look what Paul says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But look at this, worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, let me just remind you of something. Remember what I said at the very beginning of my address this morning. I said, this world is not my home. I don't belong to this world. I don't think like the world thinks. I don't function as the world thinks. I don't believe what the world believes. I function according to the constitution of the kingdom of God presented by Jesus Christ himself. So he's saying here, Paul's saying, there is such a thing as worldly sorrow, but it, it lacks repentance. It doesn't cause any kind of change in our life. There's no transformation. In fact, Paul says this worldly sorrow, in fact, results in spiritual death. So what we need to understand is that we have got to get our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ as our example, as, as our master and our Lord, as the one who tells us what to do and what not to do, who shows us what true holiness is. No, we will not listen to the wisdom of this world. Rather, we will have a, a godly sorrow that leads us away from sin, that leads us to repentance. Repentance very simply means that we have a change in our mind, a change in the way that we think. I gotta tell you, it is so critical for us to understand whether or not we are converted or not. Because the mind that has been transformed by God, the mind that has been touched by the Spirit of Almighty God is the, is the mind that belongs to God. Remember what the Apostle Paul says, that when we are born again, we become a brand new creation. The old has passed, and we have something brand new. It, it, this is what's got to happen in all of us. 
But the interesting thing is this, is that even after we're born again, we still find ourselves sinning and falling short of the glory of God. And it's for this that the Lord reminds us that we need to mourn. And we need to stay close to the heart of God. We need to feel our sin so that we will not sin. Did you hear that? We need to feel our sin so that we will not sin. Now, this is the glorious work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He's transforming us. He's changing us. But sadly, too many people don't have a daily walk with God. They don't give God time to speak to their hearts and to show them their own iniquity, to show them how, how much they're falling short of the glory of God. This is why I have to have a daily walk with God, this is why I need to get into the presence of the Lord so that he can show me what needs to be changed in me, what needs to be transformed. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, the first few chapters. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And part of that renewing of your mind includes weeping and sorrow for your sin. Now, here's what, here's what I see. And I see it in myself and I see it in others. We are quick to point our fingers at other people and point out their sin. We rise up in indignation and we say, look at that sin. We saw that in King David, didn't we? When he was told the, 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 the sort of the little metaphor, little parable of the rich man that, that stole the, the single sheep from the poor man. And David rose up in indignation. And this man deserves to die. He, he saw the sin in others, but he didn't see it in himself. Well, listen, this is what we're talking about. It's, it's learning to see in ourselves what is falling short of the glory of God. And I'm gonna tell you, if you're walking with God, if you're staying close to the heart of God, God will reveal it to you. That's why you have to have a daily walk with God. That's why you need to get into his presence on a daily basis so that you can see your sin, so that you're not like David the hypocrite who could see the sins of others but could not see his own sin. Well, that is our condition. We're a people who are right now being, as Christians, who are being sanctified. We're being made holy by God. And part of that process is learning to see in ourselves our own sin. And I, gotta, I just gotta remind you of this. Stop looking at the sins and the shortcoming, shortcomings of others and look at yourself. Look to see where you're at. Make sure that your heart is right with God. So Jesus says that those who mourn will, in fact, be comforted. And I'll tell you, if you ever have read the Old Testament, you'll see time and time again, God's people sinning, falling short, coming under judgment, crying out to God, mourning, because of their sin and because of the consequences of their sin. And then we find a loving God comforting them, helping them. Listen, the one who mourns and experiences deep grief because of their sin and then looks to God for comfort, these are the ones who will experience the glorious comfort of God. And I will say this to you today, that if you've never experienced this, I would encourage you to get alone with God and start confessing your sin to God and ask him to forgive you and ask him to release you from that guilt and to fill your heart with the comfort that 
only God can give. Let me share a story, uh, and it's true, it's from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is sharing his own personal experience with God. And in verse 1, it says, it was the, the year, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I. Send me. It's a beautiful picture of a man who suddenly becomes very conscious of his sinful state. I'm a man of filthy lips. And he cries out to God in great sorrow. I'm doomed. How can I be in the presence of Almighty God? How can I survive this? I can't possibly live not after being in the presence of Almighty God. Well, God heard Isaiah's confession. He heard Isaiah's cry. He heard Isaiah mourn. And so God sends the angel who takes the coal from the altar of heaven and touches Isaiah's lips, purifying him, making him holy. And I love what it says. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. That is the comfort of God. Nobody could give that to Isaiah. No king on the planet Earth, nobody in heaven or on earth could give that kind of comfort to Isaiah but God himself. If you're listening to me right now and you are gripped with guilt and with, with, with shame because of your sin, you need to do what Jesus says. Mourn, cry out to God, ask him to forgive you. And then the Bible says you will know the blessing of God. You will know happiness because God himself will comfort you. God himself will take away your sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news of God. You know, it's clear to understand something here. It's, it's God alone who can truly comfort the human soul. Nobody else can, nothing else can. And I'm telling you, you know this as well as I do, people resort to all manner of, of, of people and methods to, to 
to take away the guilt and the pain and the suffering in their heart. And I'm telling you, only Jesus can do it. Only God can drive that away. People, they turn to drugs, alcohol, pornography, uh, people, parties. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. We're, we're all humans. We all understand and go through exactly the same thing. But I'm telling you, only God can bring comfort to your heart. And that's what Jesus says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted by God himself. It's supernatural. It's not a philosophy of humans. It's supernatural. It's from God himself. I want to point out something to you very, very interesting about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. The first 39 books of the Bible is what we call the Old Testament. The next 27 books is the New Testament. In the book of Isaiah, watch this, the first 39 chapters are all about, about judgment, about law, about people breaking the law of God. But then the last 27 chapters are about Jesus and about the comfort that he brings. It's, it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence. When we get to the 40th book of the Bible, we come to the gospel of Matthew. It's the gospel of the birth of Jesus Christ, of Christ who has come to this earth to teach us how to live, and then he dies for us and he's resurrected. That's the 40th book of the Bible. The 40th chapter of Isaiah is all about Jesus. I don't think that's a coincidence. Let me just read to you those first few verses from uh, Isaiah 40. You can read this yourself. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. But listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Well, that's speaking of, of Jesus Christ and it speaks of John the Baptist clearing the way, making the way for, for our Messiah, our comforter to come for us. Do you see what we're, what's happening here? Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And the first 39 verses or uh, first 39 chapters of Isaiah is all about mourning and sorrow and judgment. And then we get to the 40th chapter and then suddenly this beautiful, beautiful refrain, comfort, comfort my people. The same thing in the Bible. The first 39 books of the Bible is about judgment and sorrow and pain and human suffering and human falling, humans falling short of the glory of God. And then we come to the 40th book, just the same way as we come to the 40th chapter. And we find God declaring that the comforter has come. Who is the comforter? It's Jesus. And interestingly, the Holy Spirit is also called the comforter. Why? Because he is sent by Jesus Christ. The comforter has come. There's no solution for your sin except Jesus Christ. And therefore, only Jesus Christ can bring comfort to your broken and hurting heart. 
That, my friends, is the good news of Jesus Christ. The Messiah calls you to come to him, run to him, and be saved. Confess your sins. And the Bible is clear that anyone who comes to Christ, he will in no wise cast them out or push them away. Ah, the comfort that comes from God. Now, I know some of you right now are distressed at what's happening in the world around you. But I'm going to tell you, it's just for a short time. And the day is coming when we will be caught up to be with the Lord. We will be free of this old world with all of its sins and its sorrows. And here's the promise that gives us great joy. And it's Jesus Christ himself who tells us in Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5. That he, God himself, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Doesn't that fill your heart with joy and with gladness? You may be mourning in your heart, but now you read this and God himself has comforted you. This is what we have to look forward to. And by the way, it begins now. Every single man or woman or child who comes to God confessing his or her sin will find the comfort of Almighty God. I want you to see something here. It says the old order of things has passed. We're talking about the world as we know it. Jesus is telling us that it's passing away. This world that right now is under the control of Satan, and man, if you watch the news, you know that that's exactly what's going on. Satan is having a heyday. And for this reason, my friends, we do not look to solve the problems of this world with the tools of this world. We understand that only when people have committed their lives to Christ and are born again, only then will we be safe and secure. Only then will there be peace on this earth. We cannot, we cannot do things the way the world does it. We cannot get caught up in the old order of things because we belong to the kingdom of God, which is a brand new order, a brand new way of doing things. We're talking about a world that is under the power and the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you're a Christian today, then Jesus Christ is your King and you will listen to him and you will do things his way. All who understand that they're poor in spirit, all who understand that they're spiritually bankrupt will mourn because of sin. But the good news, is that God himself will comfort us. We're mourning over this world, the hatred, the bitterness, the wars. We're mourning and we're crying out to God for his help. And the good news is that God will comfort us. And God can bring comfort to our nation if our nation will cry out to God. No, we're not functioning by the old order of things. It's passing away. We function as members of the kingdom of God. And we follow the constitution of the kingdom of God. If you haven't read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I'm pleading with you, read it today. In fact, read it once a week and let the spirit of God change you. 
Let me just close with this. For now, we are weeping for the sin that's all around us, the sin in our children, the sin in our community, the sin in our families. Weep. Pray for God's mercy. Pray for God's mercy on your own heart, for grace to turn away from sin and to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and his holiness. I know some of you are saying, Pastor Ellen, I don't know if I can get through such difficult times. My heart is constantly filled with fear, constantly filled with worry. But listen to what Jesus himself says. Jesus is comforting us. He knows what this world is all about. When Jesus left this world 2,000 years ago, he knew what he was leaving behind. And so for this reason, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Did you know that Jesus left a gift for us? And here's what it is. Peace of mind and heart. This is his gift to you, and it's his gift to me. And Jesus says, and the peace I give is a gift the world. Did you get that? The world cannot give. Why do we keep on looking to the world for help and for comfort and strength? The world is bankrupt. It has nothing to offer us. The philosophies, the ideas of mankind is bankrupt. After thousands of years of history, we see it over and over and over again. What we need is nothing from this earth. This earth has nothing to give us. It promises everything, but delivers nothing. What we need is the gift that only Jesus can give, a peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Hallelujah. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And this is precisely why we teach you at this church your very first and most important habit or behavior is to have a daily walk with God where your eyes are fixed squarely on Jesus. Show me somebody who's full of fear. Show me someone who's full of turmoil, anger, bitterness, resentment. Somebody who appeals to the politics and to the wisdom of this world, I'm going to show you somebody who has not yet received this gift, this gift from Christ. Christians are different. We're not the same as the people of this world. Jesus calls us to an elevated way of living, to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, full of peace in mind and heart, untroubled, and unafraid. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that you would fill our hearts to overflowing with joy and peace in the midst of the sorrow and the pain that is around us. God, there is a time for mourning, but we thank you, Lord, that mourning may go on for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength. Thank you that you comfort those who mourn. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.